The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16. Um, We'll finally land this series. This will be it in Romans. um, And we'll start moving in another direction next week. But um, no one uh, wants to be perceived as weak. You know, you say, oh, that's weak, what you did there, that's really weak. You don't want anybody to say that about your performance in anything, but the reality is we all face weaknesses at different points in in our lives. Um, I've been kind of fascinated, you know, we went out to celebrate Joel's graduation last week, and hopefully he he should make it here by the time we're uh, done, and, and hopefully you could see him. He's here until Tuesday morning, he flies out, but so I have my whole family there, and I, man, I have been sad ever since. Like, I had, my, I had a great time, really soaked up, and was drinking in everything that was happening in that moment, but I'm just looking at my kids, and, you know, Joel's gone off, Jonah's a freshman in college, about to finish, Joel, Faith is about to move off and, and go to Oklahoma to go to school, and... Um, and then we, we've got the younger two, and, and man, it's just changing. And I just find myself being so sad. I'm just like on the inside, emotionally dealing with the, the transition that my family is in. And it's made me feel really, really weak. Uh, and some of you are probably thinking, oh man, come on, what is wrong with you? You're a man. You know, step it up. But it's just a reality that I'm kind of dealing with as I think about, you know, the last two decades of my life has been about all these people living in my home and all of the fun that we've had and, and teaching them and just the joy they've brought into our lives and watching them transition. And I know some of you veteran parents have already gone through a, a lot of this, and I, I know that there are a lot of exciting things out ahead of me, but nonetheless, it has made me feel a little weak, it made me really emotional. Um, even yesterday, I just, I just sitting in the chair, and um, of course, it hasn't helped that the, there's not been any sunshine, and it seems like a month, right? And uh, and so I'm just kind of like just just feeling the weight of this, and that's kind of generally what I do, and um, uh, is is process through things, and they get a little heavy for me, and and I have to navigate through them. Um, and so today's message, as Paul lands the book of Romans in his last few verses that we're going to unpack today, he really talks to us about how to be strong. Um, and I was able, last night, it was kind of fascinating to me, I went upstairs and, and worked back through the message, and I was like, man, this is really encouraging to me. I, I feel myself getting strong in the midst of it. But uh, as Paul, he talks to us about how to be strong, it's fascinating that we've been studying, uh, you know, over 20, I think this is the 24th sermon out of the book of Romans that I've preached, and, um, and, and it's been about believe, like how do we believe uh, because that's the most important thing that we we could develop in our journey is not what we do uh, for the Lord, but what we believe about the Lord and letting all of our doing come out of our believing and, and we end up um, walking in this place of freedom. But Paul, he sort of summarizes everything with this really cool doxology and he teaches us how to be strong. And he starts and he says, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. 
And so the first thing that we learn is, man, the gospel makes us strong. And you may have come in here today and you're facing some weakness in your life. You feel weak about something, maybe at work you're anxious and worried about. That's kind of the things that was going on with me as I was feeling a lot of anxiety at different moments. I was feeling a lot of sadness and heaviness and and sometimes I'd feel worry and and then I'd feel joy, and I'm just kind of going through all these different types of emotions, and I'm encouraged to see that the gospel makes us strong. The gospel doesn't just um, save us from our sins when we understand the gospel. It continues to strengthen us. That's what Paul is teaching here, and it's, poor, it's important for us to recognize um, the need to be strengthened, uh, and it is pride itself that will put us in a position to keep us from acknowledging that we're weak. I mean, we don't, our culture, everything in our culture tells us, men, you can't admit that you're weak in everything, anything, that you have to hide that weakness. But that's totally um, the reverse of everything that the scripture teaches us. The scripture teaches us that we need to understand that our weaknesses, that we need to recognize our weaknesses, because it is in our weaknesses when Paul was recognizing that he was weak and he was talking to God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, he's talking talking about this struggle. He doesn't tell us what the struggle is, some sort of a, um, experience that he's having that he calls a thorn in the flesh, and it's causing him a tremendous amount of grief, and he's asking the Lord to take it away. And the Lord responds to him in his prayer in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And so what Paul is teaching here, and we couple it with these two things, is that recognition of weakness is the key to gaining strength. When you recognize you're weak in some area of your life, um, then you start to embrace that and start to walk in that. It is in those moments that the Lord is able to step into that and make you strong. It is not when you are pro- like proclaiming to be strong that the Lord makes you strong. It is when you acknowledge that you are weak in something that the Lord starts to move in your life. And he says, God is able. That's what this first verse says. Verse 25 says, now to him who is able. And I love that because that is the Greek word dynamai. Um, and so it means that he is strong enough. He is powerful He is mighty. We get our word dynamite from it. So you can just imagine you're trying to chip away at something something with a hammer and a chisel. You're trying to move something um, um, insurmountable, it feels like, and you're just chipping away at it. And then what a a stick of dynamite could do just to blow that thing up and and just uh, into many pieces and just get it out of the way. And that's what this is saying about God. He is able Um, He is strong enough. And how does he do it? Well, he says he is able to establish. This is another fascinating Greek word. It is the word sterizo, and it means to strengthen or support. And certainly we must get our word steroids from it. And so God is able to bulk you up spiritually by giving you that which is necessary to um, strengthen you. He is the one that is able and he establishes you. He will build you up as his body. And so all of us together, we come together and we form the body of Christ. But individually, um, God is able to establish us and build us up. And he uses the good news of the gospel to do it. 
And so what are we to do? We're to take the gospel, the good news, that the Christ has come to save us from our sins. And, and even in that, as we preach that to ourselves, um, it makes us strong. And so I, I have to be reminded in those moments of weakness, and maybe you're in a moment of weakness in your life in some area, and you, you're like, how do I get past this? How do I get stronger in the midst of it? The first thing to do is to preach the gospel to yourself, is to recognize that it is God who is able to establish you, and the way that he establishes you is through the good news of the gospel. And the more that we can understand and embrace the gospel in our lives, and again, we're getting right back to this central idea, it's about our beliefs that begins to impact our behaviors, and that's why we start with our weaknesses, and we recognize, hey man, there's an area of my life here that I'm feeling a little bit weak in. I'm overwhelmed at work. I'm overwhelmed with this project. I don't know if I can meet all of the deadlines, and I start to get a little bit of anxiety, and then I begin to wait, just pause and wait a minute and say to the Lord, man, Lord, I'm feeling weak right here. And I know I'm, I know that it is in my weaknesses that your power is perfected and you can make me strong. And, and what he's saying is he does that through the gospel. The more that I can focus on the good news of the gospel and what it has done in my life, that is the very thing that will establish me. And so the question becomes, well, why are we so confident in the gospel? I mean, there's all kinds of faiths out there. There's, you know, we could be Muslim, we could be Buddhist, we could be atheist. Atheists have a form of faith where they just deny that God exists and they figure out how to work through it. Why, why the gospel? Why can we be so confident in the gospel to establish us as God is saying that it will establish us when he is the one who is able to strengthen us. Well, he goes on and he says, um, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. The gospel makes us strong because we know the mystery. There's a mystery in the gospel, um, in all of the word of God. And what is that word mystery? What does that mean? It's not like the word mystery uh, that we think of last night. The kids and I were talking about playing the game Clue. And you try to figure out the mystery. That's not what this word means. This word means something that God has literally hidden in the past and that people were incapable of understanding, but he has now made it known. It is a divine secret. It's almost like a teaching of God himself that has been hidden um, throughout the ages, but it is now discovered and it is God the one who is allowing it to be discovered. And we know that the mystery of God has been made known is what this says. And so the word reveals it. And a lot of people look at the Bible and they think um, it's irrelevant. This is not anything that's being more attacked in our day and age than the word of God. And some are even attacking it in the local church. Some churches are moving away from um, the doctrine or the teaching of the inerrancy of scripture, that it is, it is the word of God and it is the highest authority for our rule of faith and practice um, we call it solo scriptura. It is by faith alone and it is by scripture alone. We look at it, but there are a lot of people attacking it. There are a lot of people who are um, not believers in Christ who would say, the Bible is just written by a bunch of men. How could you trust that? Just something that was written a long time ago about men who don't know anything about 
um, the day and age that we're living in, and it's irrelevant, and that is the wrong, that is such a wrong and perverted view of what the Bible is. And so when we look and go, why are we confident in the gospel to be able to make us strong and establish us, and how is God able to use it? It is through the word that he does it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that prophets, the prophets of God, even in the Old Testament, sometimes didn't realize how prophetic their writings were. They would write things, and they didn't even realize they were writing prophecy at some times. Now, they knew they were speaking for God, and they were speaking truth in that moment, and they had received a word from God. But sometimes they wrote things that they didn't understand how powerful they would be until later when the mystery, that which was hidden, had been revealed by God when he saw at just the right time. I think Ephesians talks about at just the right time, God chose in this perfect moment to reveal his son who would be born of a woman. And, and, and then Christ comes into the picture, and obviously he is that which helps us to understand all of the mystery of God that has been hidden. And so the prophets... Um, weren't writing about God. God was writing about God through the prophets. And that's so very important for us to understand. And if you get this, I mean, this has done more for my confidence in my faith than anything else. That's why I look at like atheism and, and uh, just say, man, there's no way I could have enough faith to be an atheist. An atheist goes, man, I'm walking by faith. faith, An atheist is is walking by way more faith than I'm walking by, way more. Yeah, believe in nothing, man. I believe in something. You know, the word, like when we look at the, or we look at our, 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 the creation story, we know that um, we call it the God created ex nihilo. When God created, he created out of nothing, then something, God didn't take something and then make the earth. No, he, there was nothing and he created something. That's ex nihilo. That's not how we believe. We don't believe from nothing. We believe from something. And it is the word of God that becomes so very important for us to even understand how confident we can be as believers in Christ. And so God gives us his word and it is he himself that is writing uh, about himself. In Revelation in chapter 19, verse 10, it says, it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. So it is, we look at prophecy and it just continues to testify about who Jesus was. And so God uses the truth of his word to establish us. He establishes us with the gospel. I said, well, the gospel's in the New Testament, isn't it? The gospel's everywhere. The good news of the gospel is all over the Bible. It's in every book of the Bible. There's always something we look at it and we begin to unpack it, especially that we're living in these exciting times where that which has been, was hidden has been made known. It is revealed. And so we can take and we can look at all of the word of God and we can see the gospel all over both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we... 
um, look at Jesus, we see that he taught his first disciples after he was resurrected how to do this very thing. What is the very thing? It's like, well, we would take the spirit of prophecy bears testimony to Jesus. And so we would look back at the prophecy in the Old Testament and we would find where Jesus began to fulfill or all these things on how even the Gentiles would come into the kingdom of God and, and the way would be made for a relationship for all of humanity to have with God. It would be made through um, God revealing his mystery, which is again, Jesus accomplishing. And we know that um, what he accomplished on the cross. And so after Jesus rose from the dead, there are several um, accounts of him interacting with different disciples. And there's a couple of bros by the name of, uh, they call this passage of uh, this story in the Bible, the road to Emmaus. And these guys had been around during the uh, crucifixion when Jesus was crucified and all this stuff was going on at a special time in biblical history when the move of God was happening and all there was so many people that had followed Jesus, so many people that had rejected Jesus. And they were there in town when the crucifixion happened and they were on their way home and Jesus appears to them on the road and walks with them. They don't know it's Jesus. Jesus disguised himself. And he begins to talk to them, and it says of this um, account in verse 27 of chapter 24 of Luke, and it says, and beginning with Moses, that, and, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So even early on in one of the post-resurrection appearances that Jesus had with the disciples, one of the things that he did is he showed them how to go back into the Old Testament and see how the um, spirit of, of prophecy bore witness to who he was as the Messiah. And, and we know that he modeled that when he was actually alive prior to the crucifixion and resurrection, he modeled it. He would teach the scriptures and people were like, nobody ever taught like this guy taught it. He started to, started to correct them on how they had gotten things wrong. And, and then he would, he read from the book of Isaiah and he basically says today this prophecy is fulfilled. So he modeled it physically with, while he was with them. And then when he um, interacted with him in his resurrected form, he taught them how to do it themselves. And that's why even when we get to the book of Acts, when the early apostles start getting so busy with the, the needs of the church and working on um, ministering to the physical needs of the people, that they finally set aside some other people to help minister with that so that they could give themselves uh, over to the teaching and prayer so that what they were doing is going back and studying the Old Testament and finding Jesus all over the Old Testament and beginning to teach how he fulfilled all all of the prophecies. And so we, we look at this and we go, man, this, this is how God establishes us. When you're feeling weak and you begin to have confidence in the word um, and you're in those weak moments and you, you feel like you can't go on, then you can go to the word, not just believing that you're reading some um, encouraging thing that will lift you up that is just merely a, pro a proverb of some sort. Or teaching, then it is the word of God. It is alive, it is active. It will get inside of you and it'll start to create hope and establish you. It'll bulk you up spiritually. It's kind of what I'm here today to do. I'm real tempted to do an impersonation of Hans and Franz. 
I'll pump you up, you know? And so, like, that's, that's what the word does, man. I get in it even last night, man. I was like, Lord, I'm just, like, I don't understand. Like, I, I run on joy, okay? So I like to run at a place of joy where I'm just, just feeling good about life. That's, that's the thing that, that helps me more than anything in my spiritual journey. And when that gets suppressed a little bit, man, I, I start getting just off balance. And so I, I go to the Lord last night and I'm like, Lord, I need to hear from you. Even before I started reviewing the, the sermon and I got in the book of Zechariah, man, and and the Lord just allowed that truth to pour over my mind and, and just went from this place like, I can't even explain how it happens other than to say, this is what was going on, man. I was reading about the prophecy of the Lord about what Jesus would do and, and when he comes and all of these things will be um, corrected that are messed up and broken in the world. And it started to create a hope and a joy in me. And the Lord was using um, the gospel to establish me. And so God uses this truth to establish us. And when we look at the Old Testament, we say, man, it, 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 the reason that we are so confident in the gospel is because of our understanding of the mystery that has been hidden. So I'm just going to share one with you, a mystery from the Old Testament that was hidden even from Daniel as he wrote about it. Now, it comes uh, from the book of Daniel. It's generally a story that is written about and we hear about in kids' ministry. And I'm not going to preach through the story. I'm just going to hit it real quickly and give you some of the highlights to help you see why you can be confident um, in the gospel, the good news of the gospel, to make you strong. And we see, again, part of the hidden mystery. Now, this was written 530 years before Jesus was born. That's quite a long time. If you stop and think about it, our country is a little over 200 years old, and, and so it's twice as old, uh, twice the amount of time that the United States of America has been around. And this, this is written, and it's fascinating when you unpack it. It's, um, it's, Daniel has 12 chapters, okay? And so the first five deal with Daniel having dreams, and he's interpreting the dreams. Now, Israel has been carried away in captivity. They're living in a foreign land. And so they've been carried away to Babylon, and Daniel is one of those that have been carried away, much like if, if something happened uh, and China uh, took over America, and then they decided they wanted some of the brightest leaders, and, and they would carry some of us, maybe not us, maybe some of you, because you're brighter, Right? They say, well, Quentin, he's good at stuff. Man, let's take him to China. I'm staying home. <laughs> but then he's over there, and, 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 and so Daniel's over there, and, and uh, he has these dreams, and God uses the dreams to establish him. And then we look at verses 7 through 12, and we have more dreams. Daniel's having more dreams. But right there, tucked away in chapter 6, in these 12 chapters, is this story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, what's really cool about that is that in Jewish literature, in our literature, we always, um, in our art, in our entertainment, we always put the climax at the end. 
And the story starts, and even when you're watching a new series, man, the, I don't know if you guys watch The Chosen, but most people will tell you when they're trying to get you to watch the, the uh, series uh, The Chosen, they'll tell you, hey, you got to make it through the first couple of episodes. They're a little slow, but man, once you get in there and get going, it's really good. A lot of, a lot of series are like that on, on television, and, and, they, but, and then they just keep building books. We read books, and they, they start with these descriptions, and they sort of kind of move slow and draw us in, and then this thing is building and we got to know what's going to happen at the end. And so we keep pressing until we get to the end of that book and we, we understand and hear the climax. Well, that's not the way Jewish literature is written. The Jewish literature was always, um, they put the climax, um, the, 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 the early uh, prophets and so on and so forth, they put the climax right in the middle. And so you see this over and over. Um, I think it's even fascinating, and, and, and I wouldn't say this every time you read the Bible, lay this, but I was even thinking about the book of Romans, and you go, man, it's such a powerful book, but one of the most encouraging things in the book of Romans is chapter 8. It sort of brings it all together. There's 16 chapters, and right there in the middle, Paul tucks in all these cool verses about we are more than conquerors. All things work together for the good of those who love God, and he's just putting all of that cool theology right there in the middle uh, of the book of Romans. Well, here in the middle of the book of Daniel, we have this story um, 530 years before Christ is born, and this tells us that it is very important. So what is the story? Well, just very quickly is that uh, there's a king who's in charge, and, and he has a bunch of leaders that have uh, proven themselves to be very gifted. They're called satraps, and then there are some administrators over those guys, and three of them are selected to lead all of them in all of the affairs of the government. And so Daniel is among the three, and then he separates himself among the three. He's the leader of the three. And the king recognizes that Daniel is so gifted that he puts him in charge of the entire country, second only to himself. The other administrators and the satraps who were not elevated to that position are looking at this guy. Who is this guy who comes from a foreign country and is now running our country? They get jealous, and so they figure out a way to frame him because they are jealous and envious of all of the power that he has received. And so they come up with an edict, and, and according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which under the law that they were all governed by, the king himself included in that governing, if a law, an edict, according to the Medes and Persians, was instituted, it could not be reversed. Not even the king himself could reverse an edict that had been given. So they go to the king and they uh, play to the king's ego and they say, oh, king, there's nobody in the land who is as great and brilliant and as such a, a fantastic leader as you are. You are amazing, king. And the king likes what he's hearing and he says, we think you're so amazing that you should institute a decree according to the law of the Medes and Persians that for the next 30 days, everybody is to only pray to you. They're not to pray to any other God or any other person that exists. The king likes what he hears, and so he says, okay, make it so according to the law of the Medes and Persians. And the reason that they came up with this idea is because they knew that Daniel would not violate this law, and they knew that they could trap him. And so sure enough, Daniel, as he's always done, he's in the habit of prayer. He goes home. He knows that they have issued this edict, and he doesn't care. He's still going to remain um, doing what has brought him to 
to the place and established him to this point in his life thus far. And he goes into his home and he prays. And they go and they find him praying. And they arrest him. And they take him and they go before the king. And they say, king, we found somebody who isn't listening to what you said was true. Who is it, the king says. And they say, it is Daniel. He has prayed and he has violated this. This shocks the king. The king is upset because the king loves Daniel. And he knows that they have twisted things around, but there's nothing he can do to reverse it. So what do they do with good old Daniel, who has uh, been faithful to the Lord? They throw him in the lion's den. And Daniel, man, as he's cast into the lion's den, the king has done everything that he possibly could do to try to get uh, Daniel spared, but he he can't do it. It comes down to the end of the day. They put Daniel in the lion's den, and the king says to him, oh, may your your God protect you, uh, Daniel. And they roll a stone over... um, the lion's den, they seal it with the signet ring of the king and many of the other nobles. And then the king uh, is worried all night long. And then the sun comes up in the morning and the king rushes out to the lion's den. They roll the stone away and he says, oh, Daniel, are you down there? And Daniel says, oh, be not afraid, king. He said, my God has shut the life or shut the mouths of the lions and I am unharmed. And they bring Daniel up out of the lion's den. And after they bring him up out of the lion's then they take all of the people who were responsible for framing him and their wives and their children and they toss them into the lion's den and it says that before they hit the ground the the lions attacked them and began to crush their bones and and then Daniel is once again reinstated to his place of authority and an edict goes out to all the people in the land that they must worship and honor and pray to Daniel's God because he is the only true and living God, right? So that was written 530 years before Jesus was even born. Now, when we look at that, it is a, a, um, an account in Jewish history that no doubt was miraculous. And it teaches the people of God to be faithful and courageous. But when we step back from the story far enough, we see Jesus all over it. They say, what do you mean? Jesus wasn't mentioned one time. Well, Darius is the king over the known world to do as he chooses. He is the ruler, the sovereign ruler over people on the earth in that particular region. And he has the power to accomplish his will. That is a picture of God the Father. The king puts Daniel in charge of his kingdom, second in authority. That is a picture of Jesus. Jesus has said, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Daniel is so good that the administrators are jealous and seek to remove him. Jesus is so good that the religious leaders are jealous because of the power that he is gaining among all the people that they want him removed. Daniel is blameless and above reproach. Jesus is blameless and the religious leaders have to frame him just like the religious le- or the people framed Daniel. Um, they get the king to institute a law that if broken, it requires a death sentence. They go to Pilate. They get Pilate to um, do the trial because they know that they can't actually crucify Jesus for what he's done. That's why they say, well, we can't do this according to our law because of the time of the year. And they wanted Jesus crucified on a cross because they thought that if they got him crucified, that anyone who has um, hung on a tree is cursed and they would see it as a curse and that no one would follow him. And so they're really trying to set him up. 
Daniel, though innocent, is found guilty and sentenced to death. Jesus, though innocent, is found guilty and sentenced to death. Daniel is put in a hole and a stone is rolled over it and sealed with a signet ring. Jesus is put in a hole and a stone is rolled over it and sealed with a signet ring. Certain death for Daniel, no doubt. And there's no question that Jesus was dead. We know he was dead for three days. A miracle happens and Daniel is alive in the morning. The miracle of Jesus' resurrection. We know that he in three days he rises from the dead. The stone is rolled away. Daniel's enemies are destroyed by the means uh, of, that they had planned for him to die by. Jesus' enemy, his greatest enemy, that of death, is destroyed by the very instrument of death that he was that was used to destroy him. That in the book of Colossians it says that he leads um, Satan like as a triumphal uh, in a triumphal procession through the power of the cross. If you stop and think about it, the, the cross is a form of execution, but it has become the hope of the world. It's the equivalent of taking an electric chair and going, man, this is the hope of the world. How does that happen? It is because when we look back in all of, a, all of the scripture and we see what was accomplished over and over, we see that the gospel is on every page. Here's another fascinating thing is that, that even in this execution that um, Daniel was facing as they put him in the, li- uh, the, the den of lions is that um, when the king comes to check on him, he says, man, the God has closed the mouth of the lions and they haven't harmed me. And what does um, the scripture describe the, the enemy that we face spiritually? He is a roaring lion, but his mouth has been closed by all those who understand the mystery that has been revealed to us in ages past. Now, that's just one story. This is one story in the Old Testament. And, and, and we, could, we could go all day. We could look at David and Goliath and, and Goliath being the, the uh, evil and sin that is, 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 is destroying all of humanity. And, and the unlikely candidate, David, uses a weapon that should not be able to destroy this warrior. And we see over and over, David is a picture of Jesus. And, and, and you could just go on and on and see Christ all over the Old Testament. And I share that with you to encourage you in saying, we don't believe in a book written by men. We believe in a divine mystery that has been recorded and written by God. He used men to do it, but often they had no idea. When Daniel was living this stuff, he didn't know that he was giving a picture of what would happen 530 years later as the Messiah would finally show up, God in the flesh, and all these things would be performed later. And it happens over and over and over, page after page after page. So when someone says to you, how can you trust the Bible? My response is, how can you not? There's no way that there could be this much harmony among men who are written uh, uh, over a a span of thousands of years in all kinds of different backgrounds, and it all just comes together and tells this incredible story about how the gospel makes us strong and the mystery has been revealed. Well, why did God make all the effort to tell us this story through prophecy? He says, and beginning or continuing on in our text out of Romans, so that all the Gentiles might, might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Our obedience comes from faith. That's why he did it. He says the more that he can help us believe, the more that we will obey, which is what this series has been all about, is that if you believe the right things, you will do the right things. And the power of the scripture, it builds our faith, and that's why it's attacked so much today. And that's why it's so vital for us to follow it and follow it in the right way out of faith, not trying to do things to build up our faith, but believe the right things, and all of a sudden, our faith will start to be built up as God establishes us and makes us strong with the gospel. We don't obey and then have faith. Our faith leads to our obedience. You were, I'm reminded of Israel. They're in captivity. They are slaves under the um, uh, Pharaoh's rule in Egypt. And God again comes to Moses through the burning bush experience and calls him to go deliver them. Moses again is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And what happens? They are miraculously one of the most incredible times in biblical history where an outpouring of God's spirit moves upon the land and they are established as a nation, okay? They come out of slavery. But guess what happens after they're out of slavery? They're given the law. They're not given the law while they're still slaves and said, obey this and you'll come out of slavery. They're said, believe God will deliver you, and he does, and then they're given the law. It's the same for us today, as we must make sure that our faith is what leads to our obedience and not trying to get our obedience to build our faith. You must believe first. So every time that even in my, as I started with this weakness, I'm feeling weak, okay, It is my faith that led me to the word and the word got my thinking correct as I believed that the Lord would use the word where the gospel is written on every page. I know if I cut the Bible open, it will bleed Jesus. And I read it and the truth pours over my mind with an expectation that I'm gonna read something that is gonna make me strong because I believe in Jesus. And why would I not believe in Jesus? Because the mystery of God that has been hidden for ages past has been revealed to me. And that is the good news of the gospel that I rejoice in. I know the story. I know the son and the son has set me free. And if you are free, then you are free indeed. And it is he that helps us to be strong by establishing us in the gospel. And so we turn to the word because we believe. And the more that we believe and we read it, the more our faith has grown up because the more of the mystery that we will understand. That's why we take the time to preach and teach about the word is because we realize that the more God's people understand the word and the gospel, the greater their obedience will be because their faith will develop. And so that brings us to the big idea. We believe. And I want to encourage you today. Because you, if you are not feeling weak right now, you will feel weak soon. And you are to not run from your weakness. You need to look at your weakness and embrace it. You need to be willing to talk about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Talk to the people around you about it. And let the Lord take the gospel and establish you and make you strong in the midst of your weakness. You see, our culture would tell us just the opposite. When you're feeling weak, don't let anybody know. 
Don't let anybody know that you're weak. Don't ask for any help because everybody's got to be able to make it on your own. If you believe, that's totally opposite of what the scripture teaches. You can't overcome your weakness if you try to do it in your own strength. It is only when you walk with other brothers and sisters and the Lord himself and you admit, I'm feeling weak in this moment. And one of the things I've been doing um, through my little story that I've been telling you is I've been telling my kids how sad I am. And, and I think they get it, man. They're, they're seeing like, and, and I've been trying, like they, they want to spend more time together even before Joel departs. Now that internally, like that's just not how we function. Like we, our flesh sets us up and the enemy sets us up. He roars at us. He says, you can't tell anybody about this. Now, again, my illustration is, may feel or seem a little insignificant, not as hard to share, but there are other things. There are things that happen in our lives where we, we've been disobedient, we're ashamed of something, and we're afraid to tell anybody. We're afraid to tell anybody that we're weak. Listen, you have to overcome that. That is pride getting in the way, and the Lord can't move in that. What he can move in is when you're willing to admit that you're weak. It is in our weaknesses that the power of Christ is made strong. The gospel begins to go to work on us. And sometimes we just need to hear a word from somebody else as they speak a little life into us and speak a little of the, they do a little gospeling to us. And sometimes we have a difficult time preaching the gospel to ourselves and that's why the God uses the foolishness of preaching and we come and gather on a weekly basis and someone else preaches this to us. But this is kind of a corporate setting. How much more powerful when you sit down one-on-one -on -one and you tell a brother or sister, man, I'm struggling, and they gospel you. They establish you with the good news of the gospel. So don't be afraid of, of, uh, of embracing and admitting and talking about your weaknesses because that's... That's where the Lord begins to really shine and do his work. I'm going to ask you to bow in a spirit of prayer. Now we're going to take communion. And so I think it's a great time to just like talk to the Lord about anything you're feeling weak in right now. Maybe there's a relationship that's just been tripping you up and you feel a little weak in it. Just talk to the Lord before you take communion. Say, Lord, you know I'm weak here. I need to be strong. Establish me with the gospel. Um, could be anything. A relationship could be something you're anxious about. Um, in your career. With your kids. With your marriage. Um, all kinds of things trip us up. But let's just take a moment. Have a time of prayer. And then Sean will lead us in a worship song and we'll take communion together. Lord, we bow before you and thank you today for your love, for the grace and mercy that you constantly lavish on us. And Lord, we thank you for our weaknesses. We all have them. And we pray, Lord, that 
You would help us to see that in those moments is when you're strengthening us the most. Help us not to run from our weaknesses. Help us to welcome you and others into them so that the gospel may establish and make us strong. Teach us more about the mystery, Lord. Thank you for revealing it to us. And help us to understand that those we're interacting with in the world that don't know you have never understood the mystery of the gospel. And so we pray that you would use us, Lord, as agents for yourself within the kingdom to help proclaim that which has been hidden from a lost world. And may they come to know you. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.